Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Sports Plus podcast for the week of January 18th. I'm Corey Miller here with Frank Cusimano and Andy Moeller. For the first time in more than 10 months, the Blues are going to play a game in St. Louis. Just a handful of fans in attendance at Enterprise Center. They're taking on the Sharks to open their season, their season at home, that is. We'll take whatever we can get. We saw kind of two different Blues to watch them in that 8 nothing loss. Uh, how long did you guys last watching that? I got out after uh, four to nothing. It didn't look good. The Avalanche came in there with a really bad attitude, and you knew it wasn't going to have a happy ending for the Blues. So, yeah, I, I I kind of expected that. I'm not a gambler, but Colorado losing that first game and looking so bad, they weren't going to lose two straight at home. I didn't think it was going to be eight to nothing, though. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I stuck out until um, until it was three to nothing. The the second and third goals happened pretty quickly. And so then I ducked out. All right, I'll give them another chance. I flipped back, and right after that, they made it four to nothing, and so I'm out. <laughs> so, so they've done some shuffling here uh, for their first little home stand. I like how the the schedule is this year. They get the Sharks and back to backs at home. Brian Portuzo, he's going to the IR with an upper body body injury. He's suffering in Colorado. Gunnarsson's in. Nickel is up. Frank, I, I think. I think you're pretty high on Mikel. I know I am. He seems like a really good player. Hopefully he cracks the lineup. He's not playing in the opener against San Jose, uh, but I think he could be a guy that can make an impact. We know how much depth the Blues have. Yeah. In, in basketball, we like to call people an athletic big. That's what he is. He, he really moves well for his size. I love him long-term. I thought the most interesting move today, though, Corey and Andy, was Zach Sanford moved up to the Perron and O'Reilly line and I'm telling you something, I would do this and I would just, hey, let's see what happens after like 15 games. Because you got to remember, last year there was a stretch where this guy was getting a goal or a point at least every game when they brought him up. Play him with some great players. I think we're going to get some great numbers out of Zach Sanford. Uh, you well, know, uh, Coach Berube talked, talked about yesterday, Corey. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, Coach Berube talked yesterday about the fact that you don't, you don't want to make too much out of the line combinations that he's putting together right now. He's still trying to find that chemistry. Uh, and so I think guys are going to be going all over the place until he finds the right matchups or, you know, maybe he sees something in the, in where Sanford is now. And he files that away, juggles the lines around a little bit more and then comes back to, you know, comes back to pairing, uh, pairing Sanford up there a little bit later, but he said, don't make too much out of it. There's going to be a lot more juggling going on. I get my lines mixed up a lot, but that those were the three. They were together a lot last year, weren't they? They worked pretty well together. Yeah, yeah. and that's when Sanford's season really took off because, you know, with a young guy with that kind of size and that kind of skill, if you can pair him with Ryan O'Reilly, you talk about a career boost. Corey, that's like you getting a chance to work with Andy and myself. I mean, you're just so lucky <laughs> to do that. Thanks, Frank. Uh, the Blues have San Jose to open the schedule. And how I'm looking at this, their whole season schedule against the West. They're either playing a really good team or a team that was really bad last year. And they're getting the Sharks, who were terrible last year. How big is it for the Blues to, like, impose their will on the Sharks, the Ducks, the Kings? There are some bad teams, or his, not historically, but over the last couple of years, and that's the, uh, you know, that's sort of the yin and the yang of the uh, of the Blues getting put out in the Western Division. There's a lot more travel, a lot more late starts, but you do have the, you know, the teams that are 
uh, okay, we'll call them underperforming teams. But, uh, you know, in, in looking at the, at the Sharks roster, there are still a lot of the guys who were on that um, conference finalist uh, team, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Although, you know, Brent Burns, who is a huge thorn in the side, he's 35 now. Uh, they're yeah. still, still trying to get minutes out of Patrick Marlowe, who's 41. But you still have Timo Meyer and you still have uh, Tomas Hurdle, uh, you know, who are still in their prime. Uh, so as the old coaching uh, axiom goes, you can't overlook anybody. Um, but you really do have to make hay against the teams who are beneath you in the standings. That's some Blues talk. Excited to see them back at home. We'll see how the uh, the attendance, they're hoping to increase as they go along. I think there's three or 400 here for the first game, frontline workers, so we'll see how that goes up. Hopefully get some more people in there eventually when it's safe and, and get Enterprise Center rocking again. Let's move on to another fun weekend in the NFL. Uh, lots of storylines. Let's bop around here a bit. Let's start with the Missouri team, though. Chiefs hold on against the Browns. That was a fun one to watch. I like the Chiefs, but I was kind of rooting for some mayhem. The biggest star in the league, I don't care what happened to him. He's going to be out there in their next game. Yeah, it's weird that they just won't say the word concussion. Not even today they won't say the word concussion. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I saw where they have a 63% chance of winning if Patrick Mahomes plays and like a 32% chance of winning if it's Chad Henney. So I got to tell you, though, um, as great as Mahomes is, and he's the most athletic guy in the world, the guy he's playing against is a close second in the AFC right now. I mean, Josh Allen is a superstar in the making. And he, unlike he's your, he's your fantasy quarterback, right? Absolutely. And my <laughs> wide receiver was Stephon Diggs. Uh, it's amazing. I, I just love to see those two together, too. I don't know if you saw after the game the way Diggs just gushed about his quarterback and the way, you know, Josh talked about Stefan. It's just a great duo, and it's going to be a great duo for years to come. I think that's going to be a terrific game. The uh, the thing about about Diggs that that you know that really is is fun, you know, for Josh Allen is he is always finding these little pockets where, you know, where he is and Allen, you know, can find him right away and throw to him. It's, it's, it's amazing how Diggs is able to get himself open like that. Yeah. The, un, the unsung guy in all this is Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator. Uh, if you look at Allen's splits from, you know, his first two years to last year, remarkably different. Brian Dayball has done a great job tooling that offense to make uh, Allen have easier throws. And it, it's been a world of difference. His completion percentages is up. Um, obviously touchdowns are up. His accuracy over longer throws, which was really his biggest bugaboo, that has really gone up too. So yeah, Allen is really the real deal. So we got the two young guns in the AFC and then we got to watch the two old guys uh, last night with Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Andy, we know you got all that uh, football history and uh, knowledge there. What was a, a matchup of that kind of magnitude of those two well, you know, heavyweights? Because we're probably not going to see it again. Uh, Drew Brees won't come out and say it, but that's pretty much his last game. What did you think about when you were watching that game last night? Well, first of all, yeah, it, you know, I, I know he said after the game that, that he was going to take some time and evaluate it and, you know, and whatever. I don't think you're blowing kisses to the crowd and, and looking around, you know, admiringly at your stadium. 
you know, if you're if you're planning on coming back, you'll see it again. He's just never going to see it in that way ever again because he's stepping down. I mean, let's let's just face facts. Um, as far as the matchup goes, the uh, the numbers were you know were pretty even. Neither one of them were spectacular, but the the uh, the glaring statistic in it was four uh, New Orleans turnovers, three interceptions by Breeze, and it's what they've been saying about Breeze all year long. He does not have the deep ball throw anymore. Uh, everything was, you know, confined probably into a 20-yard space. The Bucks were able to pack that defense because he knew he wouldn't throw over the top of them. And, and he was, you know, he, he made life easy for the Tampa Bay secondary. And when you can have a 4 nothing advantage in, in the, the turnover battle, it makes things a lot easier for a team like Tampa Bay. And think about it, Frank, too. Frank, I like – oh, go ahead. In, in, a, in a matchup – of the two most prolific quarterbacks in NFL history in terms of passing yardage, the guy who threw the best ball was Jameis Winston, who's probably not going to the Hall of Fame. Frank, I liked your uh, your uh, kind of metaphor that today how Brady Brady won the divorce between uh, him and Belichick because I am convinced this guy is going to end up winning uh winning playoff games and until he decides to retire like in a regular working class joe at 65 it's i tom brady i'm think i have no reason to doubt that he's going to go back to the super bowl this year i know the packers are great but it's tom brady there's magic there still yeah well i have no doubt he'll come back and play again next year because gronk says he's coming and antonio brown will he's got too many things and finally bruce arians realized that tom brady should be the offensive coordinator you know i had mike martz on the radio on Friday, and he brought up a great point. He goes, what they did the second half of the season is what we did in the greatest show on turf, is we threw on first down. First down was not a running down. And they used to, you know, the first seven or eight games, you know how many points behind Tampa Bay got in all those games? Then they finally figured, we have the greatest quarterback of all time. Why not throw the ball on first down? Why not let him run the offense, which he basically did, and that's why they've been smoking hot down the stretch. As as a guy, not, go to, ahead, Andy. As a guy I listened to on a, a podcast, uh, Mike Lombardi talks about the Buccaneers figure out how to play Canadian football. You know, the the idea is not to have third and manageable. It's to you know they have third and short, if not you know not get a first down on your first two downs. Um, you know, which is like Canadian football, and it makes the offense run that much more smoothly if you you know, if you are kind of having that mentality about things and it does open up the running game too, if you're not sure if the team's going to run or it's going to pass on first down. So Matt Hicks was supposed to join us on this episode. He couldn't make it. And I'm a little upset because I was going to give him some, uh, get a little ribbon about the Rams going out because he's still, he's still a Rams fan, of course, but Frank, unsatisfying to see them lose. Hold on just one second. If I would have known that before we hired him, I think I would have had second thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but the Rams are out. We don't have to watch that. We don't have to worry about the thought of Stan raising the Lombardi trophy. And the next fight for the Rams is going to be in court this year. Frank, what is the very latest? We know depositions have gone out. When can we hear something new about the Rams lawsuit against St. Louis? Um, you know, I think we're going to hear something, uh, in the summer because it's, it's, it's going to be a while. I, cause, cause the depositions, I think they've done a few, but they haven't done many. So I would expect 
you know, after they get everything done, then they formulate the game that formulate that game plan for the summer, and then in the fall it happens. But you know, I, it's interesting because Bob Blitz, the attorney, normally you know throws me a nugget. It's, he's been kind of quiet lately, so I don't think there's a whole lot going on as we speak. The entire city will be glued to it whenever uh, it does come down. Hopefully, we get to see him in a courtroom somehow, actually on the stand somewhere. That would be nice. Uh, let's segue a little bit. Not too much, though. We're still going to talk Rams, but our Rams, the St. Louis Rams. Talk a little bit about our segment coming up here. We're going to listen to the full interview Frank did with Isaac Bruce and Tori Holt. It was just so much fun to watch. Those two together and your commentary really on how blessed we were to have those guys on and off the field kind of hit it, hit the nail right on the head, Frank. Yeah. As, as Andy knows, no position has as many knuckleheads and, you know, divas and show-offs and me, me guys in the wide receiver spot in the NFL. And why did we get, you know, a decade of excellence, not only two of the greatest receivers of all time, but also two of the greatest people. It's, it's insane. I don't think we appreciated enough, you know, as it was going on, but man, are we lucky. Wow. Are we fortunate? Yeah. You know, cr credit to Charlie army for drafting, uh, you know, for drafting Tory Holt and for, you know, recognizing what a great character guy was uh, he was in addition to uh, his athletic skill, you know, uh, Isaac came to us from Los Angeles where he'd, he'd played as a rookie. Um, but, you know, it, it took him what, uh, two plays, the first game as a St. Louis Ram for Isaac Bruce to quickly become St. Louis's favorite football player. Yeah, as Andy remembers, he uh, blocks the punt and then he catches the touchdown. It was back-to-back, it, -back, it was crazy. I remember being, yeah, I remember being in, um, let's see, it wasn't Disney, Disney World. Wait a minute, what's, what was the town where, they, where we had the first Rams training camp in California? Oh, um, not Disney World. Oh, uh, God. That little term. It's, I, it's where Ox, Disney World Oxnard. Was. It's not Oxnard, is it? No, no, that's where the college That's where is. they went now. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. in that Disney World area. And um, Disneyland. Disneyland. Disneyland, right. Disneyland's in California. in California, yeah. Yeah. And I'm out on the field, and uh, I'm talking to Rich Brooks. And I say, you know, we're kind of new to this, you know, since we haven't seen your team. I go, can you just give me one guy that we can kind of focus on with our cameras that you know he's going to be special one day and he's going to be a star? And he pointed right to number 80. He says, this guy right here, Isaac Bruce, he's a, he, he just played one year. He's out of Memphis. He does everything great. I love him. He's going to be a star. He was right. Andy, a lot of the talk was about Tory's chances to join Isaac in the Hall of Fame. They, they could both go in this year because Isaac's was postponed because of the pandemic. You got all that knowledge. You think Holt has a shot against Reggie Wayne and Calvin Johnson because it's unlikely they're going to take a couple of receivers here. Yeah, I'm. I, you know, I and I, and not only that, but you know, I think this year needs to be his year because the wide receiver, you know, uh, eligible uh, candidates for the Hall of Fame are just you know multiplying exponentially because it's a you know it's a passing game now. Um, I think he's. I think he. I think he is superior to to Reggie Wayne. Calvin Johnson is kind of a kind of a dice roll because uh, you know with the Megatron name and all that, I think he did capture a lot a lot of national attention. I think it's going to come down to you know to that delivery in the, to that delivery in the uh, you know in the presentation room, and you know they're going to have to really you know really sell Tory. Um, you know I read a column not too long ago 
uh, where a guy uh, sort of ranked the, uh, you know, the, the 15 finalists and he had Tori and the other, you know, uh, and, and Reggie Wayne, you know, down a little bit. And he said, you know, enough of the talk of second tier receivers. Well, it doesn't take any, you know, a, a really educated football guy to know that, you know, Tory Holt was not a number two guy. And, you know, in fact, I think he pushed Isaac to, to have even greater, uh, you know, uh, numbers and performance, you know, than he did. I think Tory is a, is a hall of famer and he should get in whether the voters agree with me. I don't know. Go ahead. That'll, if, if Tory gets in, that'll be five guys on that greatest show offense in there. Won't it? Yes. And I think only the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, who won the four Super Bowls and the Green Bay Packers can say they've had more players on one side of the ball going to the Hall of Fame. But a quick thought about Calvin Johnson is um, he didn't finish off his career. You know, he, he, he ended a lot earlier. So his receptions, I think it's like 730 and his receiving yards, just 11,000. They're a lot less than Reggie Wayne and Torrey Holt's stats. I think what you could argue is that at his best, he was unstoppable. He had 83 touchdowns. But again, back to Mike Martz, he says, I had Calvin Johnson in Detroit. And I'll tell you one thing, I'd much rather have Torrey Holt than Calvin Johnson. So that's from a guy. Oh, that's good. That's quite an endorsement. Yep. All right, there's the horn. So we're going to do our final buzzer segment. We started last week here again. Now, I don't watch a ton of NBA. Frank, I know you watch a little bit. Andy, I'm not sure about you. When our local guys are on, though, I will watch if Tatum or Beal is in a nationally televised game. I'm going to be watching it. I wrote something last week pretty much begging for somebody to save Bradley Beal out of Washington. He's leading the league in scoring, and, and he's still underappreciated. Was snubbed from the All-Star, uh, All-Star team last year. If James Harden can complain his way out of Houston – to go to maybe the finals favorite. Why can't Bradley Beal get out of Washington? Frank, where would he need to go to get the respect that he probably deserves for how good his game is? Well, I think a team like Philadelphia has the pieces to get him. And if you would have, you know, you want him paired with a superstar and, you know, being paired with a guy like Joel Embiid would be ideal. You know, it's interesting is you can act, you can violate a lot of team rules and act like, a guy who doesn't care about anything and you get your wish, you get traded like James Harden, but a guy like Beal who abides by all the rules and is a good teammate and is good to his coach. He can't get out of there. It just doesn't seem fair. Andy, you've seen a lot, a lot of guys come through St. Louis. He's probably the best shooter we've seen come out of here for sure. Don't you think? Yeah. I, I, th- I don't think there's any question about it. And gosh, I remember him in high school, you know, knocking down uh, NBA uh, distance shots, even, you know, in back in those days. Yeah, I don't think there's any question he's the best NBA uh, product St. Louis has produced from long range. So as I mentioned earlier, our Sports Plus conversation this week is Tori Holt and Isaac Bruce together. Here's the full uncut interview from Frank's chat with the Hall of Famer and possibly future Hall of Famer about Greatest Show memories, the reaction to the Rams leaving, and Bruce's pitch for Tory getting into the Hall of Fame. All right, first up, you guys look like you never age. If we put a uniform on both of you this Sunday and play in a playoff game, what would your stats be like? Isaac, you first. Well, first of all, I mean, it's, it's universally known that black don't, don't crack. And, um, <laughs> um, put a uniform on uh, without practice. 
with today's rules, um, for myself, maybe about, oh, it's going to be cold too. Uh, let's yeah. see. Um, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a good four catch game, about 38 yards, a couple clear outs. <laughs> yeah, I'll be good. I'll be good for that. But T-Ho probably produce a little bit more than that though, man. I don't know. I don't know. I be with it's cold and with these achy knees, yo. I don't know if I'll. Uh, I don't even yeah. know if I'll be able to get out of a break without cracking. Um, <laughs> but I still probably give you. I still probably give about five. I give about five, about sixty. You know what I'm saying? I, I still think a, I still think I got one or two double moves left in. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Let's say the '99 Rams show up and play the Chiefs and Arrowhead right now. How does that game unfold, Isaac? Uh, under under this dispensation of rules, yes, yeah, um, these rules, these rules, yeah, these rules. Um, you know, just looking at their secondary, uh, looking at is it expect Spagnola still there? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Okay, um, pretty sure on turf. I'd say you know, first of all, I think we most definitely probably rush for about one ninety as a team. <laughs> um, as far as through the air, I say it'll be a good. 335, 345 yard game for us. A lot of a lot of offense from that standpoint, but definitely a lot of points, man. We get we we would score on them. Do you win the game? Oh, absolutely. 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 <laughs> Tori, what do you think? Tori, what do you think? Who wins the game? A lot of people think this Chiefs team is the best offense we've seen since you guys. Now we, we win the game, you know, and and, and I and I, for me it goes back to just the level of um of toughness that we had. Not saying that the Chiefs guys aren't tough, but we we certainly didn't have no problem playing across the middle. We certainly didn't have a problem with taking the top end off of the defense. And then like and then like Isaac just mentioned, we got a run game. We got a I mean we got a you know all pro caliber run runner in, in, in Marshall and with an offensive line that didn't mind moving the line of scrimmage. And they could anchor down one on ones to give uh, Isaac and ourselves opportunity to get down the field. So it would have been a plethora of offense, like Isaac mentioned, and we would have and we would have pulled the game out. <laughs> Five years ago this week, we got the bad news that the St. Louis Rams were leaving. Do you remember where you were when you heard the news and your gut reaction? Tori first. Um, I don't necessarily remember where I was, but my gut reaction was like, "Wow, I was I was I was hurt because I you know I just I just saw a lot of the history that we built there just kind of go away." Right, right then and there, um, and uh, so yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I was definitely shocked and hurt for the folks there in St. Louis. And and, and I said it, you know, I, I've been on record saying how I really felt about it, but um, but on the real, I was really hurt and felt uh, for the city of St. Louis because we got the fans there are tremendous. They're, they're fantastic, and uh, and they love all of their sports. So to see that being taken away from them for the second time, I would say. Um, was really disappointing. And then also with the history that we were able to create in a short amount of time there, it was something that they, I was thinking and hoping that we could hold on to for a very long time. Isaac, how about you? How do you remember it? Well, I was in a hotel, my wife and I in Houston. And uh, when I got the news and, uh, you know, I was, I was in a similar uh, position as far as my emotions. Um, uh, just all of the, you know, the history that we placed in that city, uh, you know, it was culminated with the fans. So the fans were always, always a part of it, that great run that we had. And uh, I was devastated. I was uh, more devastated for the fans, uh, really more than for myself. I know change is always, you know, it's inevitable. Uh, but just being able to grow in that moment, 
uh, you know, that's what I chose to do. But just really my heart went out for the fans, the fan base, everything they did to keep the team uh, in town as far as being able to come up with the funds for a new stadium and, and things like that. It just showed you their, their level of passion that they had for their team and the game of football. Isaac, can you describe our dome right in the middle of the greatest show on turf on a Sunday afternoon? <laughs> well, you know, it's easy. I, you know, I always go back to that very first playoff game versus Minnesota. And I often think about uh, that NFC championship game versus uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just before kickoff. And, you know, I can be walking through my home and, and really just place myself in that moment, still garrison all those emotions that I had. And, you know, at that moment in time, you know, I was willing to do anything as far as football is concerned. If, if it's run down on the kickoff team, I was willing to do it. Uh, it just had so much energy in the place. And, and uh, you know, it was hard for opposing teams to come in and execute their, their game plans. And it was just, I mean, just all through the city, man. I mean, just to have a football team actually take over St. Louis, which is known for being a baseball <laughs> town. Right. <laughs> How about it, Tori? No, no, no. I'm with Isaac on that, man. It was, uh, the, the, the dome was electric and you could feel it through your bones. And it certainly was an advantage for us. It was an advantage for us offensively and, and defensively. And we were a type of team that could score defensively. So as an offense, to sit on, be on the sideline and hearing the roar of the crowd cheering for our defense and the magnitude and how loud it was, it was incredible. So hats off to the folks in St. Louis, man. The Dome was, was incredible. Uh, a lot of great games witnessed in there. Um, and uh, they certainly helped us in our charge to, to, to win in multiple games, but you know, more importantly, winning that Tori, why was it important for you to be a good teammate? You play a position at that elite level where there's so many divas. Why was it important for you to not be like that? Well, you know, I think it comes from, you know, when I was, I mean, since Pop Warner through high school and through college, you know, I had a certain uh, aura about the way I played and the way I carried myself. And one of them was not, I didn't do a lot of talking. I didn't do a lot of uh, jiving, unless it was, unless it was, you know, it was, it was, it was brought to me. Um, and when I got to St. Louis, um, Isaac was that way. It was about work. It was about competing. Uh, it was about being a good teammate. Uh, it was about understanding the culture of the team. It was about cleaning out the steam room when you got out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, that was, that was rule. And uh, you fell in line. And it was all about winning. So it was a, for me, it was a, it was a good culture because I was with guys that wanted to win and wanted to do it the right way. And I stood on those grounds myself. So uh, to have it enforced and saying, damn, well, I'm not the only one that feels this way. It's important that I stay positive, be a good teammate, help out the team as, as much as, I, as much as possible. But it was, it was shown to me by vets like Ike, brother Ray, uh, DeMarco, uh, Todd Light, Adam Timmerman, Orlando, list goes on and on. The guys that showed us, showed me how to do it and be a pro the right way. How about for you, Isaac? All the wide receivers with similar stats to you, or many of them, were divas that got into a lot of trouble and were me, me guys. Well, for me personally, um, I, I, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, I never wanted to uh, be that guy to forfeit what was for me. Um, and I always felt that you could, you could do that you know, via your words. Uh, I never wanted to kill my wounded. Um, I, I realized uh, the shoes that other people were standing in from a quarterback standpoint, from an offensive coordinator standpoint, and just to be disruptive for my own team, it just didn't make sense to me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like I can take, take that same energy and, you know, kind of oppose it on the defensive backfields yeah, yeah. that I was playing against. Yeah. So um, I, if, if, if I was upset, you know, I'm going to take it out on the cornerback, on the safety, and uh, some way down the line, I can, you know, release all of that energy and then at the same time have fun watching it on the film the next day. <laughs> <laughs> but, Tori, did you ever lobby for the ball where you went to Kurt? Hey, you're passing the ball to Isaac too much. Come on, I'm wide open. No, no, none of that. But certainly he knew, we, you know, we were open. He certainly heard Absolutely. from us that, hey, we can win right. on this or we can win on that. No question. But never a point to where, yo, I'm trying to show Isaac up or trying to. No, it was, it was, hey, what can you win on? I can win on this. So, hey, we can win right. on this uh, based off of play action, et cetera, based off of coverage or what I'm saying, or the corner saw, whatever the case may be. So he clearly heard from both of us that, yeah. that we were open. I mean, th- that's the nature of the beast. That's, that's the position that we play. It's a very competitive uh, position you feel like you are you feel like you are the guy and that's totally fine right. we were fortunate we had a 1a and a 1a which is that's great, right uh that respected each other they respected the game and for me and, and, and I I did correct me if I'm wrong but for us it was about winning absolutely um, it was about performing at a high level constantly being available for your teammates uh, that was what was important for uh, for us yeah. You told me something really interesting one day that even though you and Isaac were always close, there was a competition between the two of you. And because he was so great, he made you great. No doubt. No question. Because, you know, he was the litmus test for me when I first came into the National Football League. I mean, you know, I, I heard about Isaac and knew about Isaac even, be, even before getting drafted to, to St. Louis. And then when I actually saw how he was able, how he worked, it was like, okay, now I have something to, 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 to follow something to chase. Uh, so I was certainly welcome the competition, uh, but it made me good. And hopefully I was in turn, I was able to challenge him in areas and push him to make him great. Um, but it was not only Isaac, it was Ricky. It was, it was Oz. It was all the guys that I, that I played it, played against, but it was certainly Isaac's influence, his competitiveness is what, was what I love. I, I'll go to the park, go to the fight with any day with, uh, with Isaac by my side, knowing that we're going to compete and have a very, very strong chance of coming out of there winning. Absolutely. Isaac, what did Tori do for you from a competition point of view? Uh, you know what? Every, every opportunity or every time that, you know, the Rams would go out and draft a, a receiver, um, you know, it, it automatically does something to the people that are already in the room. Um, you know, I had had Eddie Kinnison, uh, had Oz come. Uh, just just a, a bunch of guys that came. And I felt like that I can learn from each one of those guys. I remember Sean Mack teaching me how to run uh, that uh, that uh, 788 that we would run versus press. I mean, I, I learned that from Sean Mack. So it's, it was no different with Tory. When Tory came in, you can you can tell he was he was pretty, pretty uniformed in his approach. I mean, you can tell I, I you know, I just watched him the way he, you know, I always say this. He always packed the way he packed his stuff in his travel bag. You can tell that he had been around someone from a military standpoint that taught him that. And that right there, that action transfer, trans, translated from, you know, that to on the football field, the way he worked. So if, if, if I was a, a, a model for him, he was that, that push for me. So uh, for me to stay around longer, you know, I, I saw a lot of other great receivers who had played in the league for a very long time. And when that, that new blood came into the room, uh, it kind of invigorated them a little bit more. So it was no different from Tory just being able to watch him uh, and develop a trust for him. And when he got on the field, that didn't take very long. It started his rookie year. He'd make big plays, impactful plays, 
and big time games. So I was real cool about Torrey being able to pick up a third and short or a third and long and, and uh, having him have the ball in crucial moments. So I was real cool with that. What did he pack in that travel bag, by the way? I mean, just his travel clothes, man. I mean, he could fit this. He could fit a bunch of stuff into a small bag. Well, I struggled with that. So um, just just seeing that and being able to, you know, to learn from that, I learned to really roll my stuff up real tight too, and yeah. just place it in a, in a secure area. And then, bam. Okay, now move. What's the next test? That was that. That was that. That was that hard grade military academy. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> Isaac. I want you to do this for me. I'm going to put you right now in the room where the Hall of Fame voters are. And I want you to present your case for Tory Holt joining you in the Hall of Fame. Isaac, go ahead. Well, first of all, Frank, it's about impact. Um, you know, from an impact, impactful standpoint, you know, what did this player bring to the game? And what I felt like T. Holt brought to the game was a level of consistency. Uh, he was a, a great wide receiver, not just a good one. In, um, in the midst of... Uh, other great players on the same offense that he shared with. Now, my, 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 uh, I'll call it my, my, uh, my, my critique about who should be going into the hall of fame and who shouldn't be going. My, my thing is always this. Did you have to prepare for this guy every week? And yes, I believe Tory Holt's name was mentioned uh, in defensive rooms of every team that we played. Uh, did you have to double team him? He hoped was double teamed. I mean, you, had, you always had to have a safety over top of him. You dare not play this guy one-on-one, man-to-man, because you'd be in trouble. And plus plus the way he exploded, the way he would uh, be able to uh, defeat press co- press coverage. I mean, a lot of people can't do that. So um, you would do everything you could to slow this guy down. Now, my final thing was, with all of that in front of him, was he still productive? And my, my, my biggest stat for T. Hope is he's the only guy that's ever had 1,300 yards, five years in a row. Not many people could say that. And I think he's still the only one that can say that. So compared to what's in the room right now, these three guys that are in the room as far as that, that position is concerned, you would have to choose Torrey because he had very, very impactful moments. He has a ring, has a Super Bowl ring. Now compare that to the other guys. I mean, there's a, a ring with another guy, uh, but he played with the same quarterback. I mean, his entire career, you know, same offense his entire career, uh, coordinator's entire career. He didn't have to relearn anything. So, you know, for T. Hope, he probably played with different quarterbacks. Uh, he had to jumble up some offenses that he had to learn, some new language, some new jargon. That's tough. I mean, you. I mean, having to go into a, a full training camp and, and uh, rethink and relearn what you call a certain route, Frank, that's tough to do, man. And, uh, and for people who didn't have to do it, it's much easier for them. Hey, Tori, forget Howard Balzer. We're going to have Isaac actually make the presentation now. Just send this tape. Just send this tape in, man. Right. Just send it, drop the mic. Mic drop. Yo, it is, man. <laughs> Tori, what are your emotions like knowing you're on the cusp? You've been close before and you're ever so close now. How do you feel? I feel good, actually. You know, I, feel, I felt good last year. I feel even better this year. You know, not being the first ballot at Hall of Famer, you, you learn the process. And thankful to, for Isaac and his, and his team for helping me uh, and helping our team uh, learn how the process work has been great. Um, my, um, I feel like I feel like I'm getting I feel like I'm getting closer, Frank. I really do, and and I, I do. So hopefully the voters will, um, you know, for for me is really, and I said it last year, really strongly have a serious conversation about my case. 
Um, it's I don't think my case my case it, it takes longer than three to four minutes or six to eight minutes to talk about what I um, accomplished in the in the National Football League uh, individually as as well as team wise. So I have a serious conversation about my case, and hopefully I'll get a few more votes this year to finally get in, and then man, I could have a hell of a party in Cannes. <laughs> Final thought for both of you. You each accumulated these amazing statistics, but as a duo, you're unique. The best tandem, arguably, in the history of the NFL. What about that aspect that you can't say Tory without Isaac and you can't say Isaac without Tory? What about that, Tory? You know, it's funny you say that, Frank, because when I talk to folks, when folks, or when I'm introduced or see folks around, they talk, but Isaac's name comes up immediately. I, I, I don't know if this happens for, for Isaac, but I wanted to ask Isaac, does that happen for him? But his name time. comes up all the time. Um, so we're, we're, we're forever connected, um, for, for, for sure. Because uh, as you mentioned, being one of the best duos in the National Football League um, and the style and the grace in which we, we did it, I think uh, speaks volumes. And a lot of Isaac and I know a lot of the same people um our friendship still continues to this day we have our group chat um i was with isaac last year at, at with he, in, in, in his home in florida with his family so we people joe and, it, and it'll always be that way I'm, I'm glad i'm i'm glad uh i you know if i can reach the pinnacle of being inducted into the pro football hall of fame with him I and mean, to me that's just like that's uh that's validation on, on 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 careers that we had and being able to do it with someone and share it with someone that i admire and like uh, really means a lot. Isaac? Well, indeed. You know, I, I grew up watching great tandems play. Um, you know, Jerry Rice and John Taylor are a great tandem. Yeah. Um, I don't think any tandem will ever be better than Mark Clayton and Mark Duper in my eyes. Um, I think well, T. Oh. Hope and myself, we got close. But, you know, that being said, I think that the impact on the NFL that we left, if you, if you look at every team, and what they're looking for as far as wide receiver is concerned and that, that ability to play that position. And you, you talk to the position coaches, I, I guarantee you all 32 of them would mention Isaac and Tory's name and they would sit down and show our film to those guys. And we are, I felt like that we became the standard of what general managers around the league were looking for as far as that position was concerned. Because well, when you want somebody to run routes against zone, uh, versus man, be able to beat the press, take the top off the defense, and at the same time, be able to block every now and then. So okay. I felt like that we were that tandem and we were that standard, man, where teams like Kansas City right now are still trying to mimic what we put on the field as far as product is concerned. Be sure to download and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, as well as rate and review. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Have a good week, everybody.